church this morning. I'm excited to be here. I've been chomping at the bits the last two days for this moment. I'm excited today. If you have your Bible this morning, would you join me in Psalm 92? Psalm 92. And while you're turning there, I just want to take a minute and I want to welcome everybody that might be at the bridge for the very first time. Hey, if you are here for the first time, if you're new at the bridge, I just want to say thank you so much for coming today. And I also want to say welcome. Um, There's nothing better than being part of a family. And I know that for a lot of us, that's something that in our lives is a great thing. For some of us in our lives, that's been a challenging thing. But I think that there's something unique and special about God's family. So to be a part of it with you is such an awesome thing. And if you are new today, I just want to say welcome. We would love to meet you today to help you get connected and plugged in here at the bridge. So I would just encourage you, if you're here for the first time, take some time and hang out. Don't rush off afterwards today. Meet some of the great people that are a part of this church. And if you want to find out more about everything that's happening, more about who we are and where we're going, the vision of our house, we would so love for you to be a part of it. Just come and say hi at the Connection Center right after service. That's the big circle out in the middle of the foyer. we got some awesome volunteers who would love to help you and answer your questions. But most of all, we want you to feel connected and plugged in here at the bridge. So thanks so much for being here today. Why don't we put our hands together real quick and welcome everybody that's new with us at the bridge today. Awesome. Well, we've been in a series this month called His House, Our House, My House. And we're going to continue that series today. We're talking about the significance of the house of God. And two weeks ago, Pastor Gary talked about the purpose of God's house. Last weekend, Pastor Ann talked about the value of God's house. And today, I want to talk to you about the potential in the house. The potential in the house. I've had you turn to Psalm 92. I want to read that before we get started this morning. And in reading this today, I have to tell you that I get really excited with this passage of Scripture because this passage is my favorite Scripture in all of the Bible. To this point in my life, I would say that this passage is my life passage. This is one place that I go to and I just immediately get excited because when I discovered the truth of this passage, it absolutely revolutionized my life. And I'm hoping that today God will open some people's eyes and open their hearts today to what God wants to do in you in his house right here in Psalm 92. So let's read this morning from Psalm 92 starting at verse 12. This is what it says. This is David the psalmist writing. He says, the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Verse 14, it says, they shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. And then finally, verse 15, they will be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. This morning when we talk about the potential in the house, we're really talking about a couple of things. First and foremost, I think that we want to talk about the potential of what God's house can become. God's house is to be a place where God is lifted high, where, where God is magnified, where the name of Jesus is lifted high, and our lives are changed and we grow in Him as a result. But we're not just talking about the potential of God's house, we're also talking about the potential of our lives when we are in God's house. How many people know that when we are in the house of God, God can change our lives and he can grow us immensely? Anybody believe that today? And Psalm 92 unlocks this truth. And I want to talk to you a little bit about this today. But before we get into the passage and go a little bit deeper, I want to just talk a minute about potential. When I think about that word potential, I was looking this week at a dictionary definition, at a Webster's definition of the word potential, and this is what we find. We see this definitions of potential, two different definitions. Having or showing the capacity to become or develop into something in the future. 
Another definition of the word potential is qualities or abilities that may be developed and lead to future success or future usefulness. I want to say something to every single person that's here today. It's a truth that applies to all of us. It doesn't just apply to some of us who feel like we're starting to tap into it or have long ago tapped into it. It's a truth that applies to all of us. God has invested gifts, talents, abilities, and a calling upon your life. And it's wrapped up in this thing called potential that lives on the inside of you. God has invested himself into every single person that is in this building today. Not just the people that are in this building. God has invested a whole lot of himself into every single person that is walking the face of the earth and ever has walked the face of the earth. And sometimes we call it this word potential. It's the ability. God has put this thing inside of us that has the ability or the capacity to become so much more than what we currently see. I know there's a lot of people in the room today that long ago you tapped into something that God had for your life. And when you discovered it and you began to pursue God and that relationship with God, you found, wow, God has this really amazing thing for my life. And over the years, you found out that what it became was so much more than what you started with. That's because when you started, you found out there was potential. And as you served God, he unlocked that potential and it became so much greater than what you saw in the very beginning. Or maybe you're here today and you've recognized that God has called you to something. He's given you a passion about something in your life. He's given you gifts and talents and abilities, things that you're passionate about, things that you are uniquely designed to do well. God has invested things in you and you look at what you have right now and it might not seem like much, but the truth is you have the potential to take that little thing and make it into something amazing because God has invested that potential within you. Everybody needs to know that today that, to, that God has invested potential in each and every one of us. But another thing about that word potential that's really interesting is that I think potential is one of the most exciting words in the English language. I'm still a relatively young man, and when I think about my own life, when I think about things that God just might have for my life, when I think about that word potential, I have to tell you that I get excited because when I think about the things that God's deposited in me and the potential of what they can become, I get so excited to think that, oh my gosh, it might not look that big today, but with the help of God and with me being a steward of what God has given me, that thing that God has deposited inside of me, that potential can become something great. Potential can be a really exciting word, but the truth is, potential can also be a very difficult word. Because when we reach a place in our life when we feel as though maybe we never tapped into the potential that God invested or deposited on the inside of us, we can look back with disappointment and say there was so much potential, but it feels so unfulfilled. I'm here to tell you today that God has deposited potential within you. And when you know that God has deposited potential within you, you are now responsible to be a good steward of his investment that lives on the inside of you. Jesus talked about the parable of the talents, and he had a whole lot to say about us doing something with what God has given us. And I want to tell you today that now that you know that you have gifts and talents and abilities and a passion and a calling, you're responsible for being a steward with that deposit and that potential that God has put on the inside of you. And it would be too bad if we went through life not knowing how it is that we tap into that potential. But here's the good news. Scripture lays out a path, a roadmap that we can walk down and discover and tap into the potential that God has for our lives so that we can become everything he's called us to be. And I believe we find it right here in Psalm 92. And I want to walk through Psalm 92. The teacher in me gets excited about this passage because 
David the psalmist wrote an incredibly beautiful psalm, and you watch poetically the way he lays this thing out. It is a roadmap to how we can flourish in our walk with God. So I want to walk through this a little bit this morning, and I want to go step by step how it is that you and I can see our lives flourish in the house of God, okay? So here's the first thing that we see. The first step that we take in order to see our life flourish, number one, obviously is found at salvation. Look again at verse 12. It says, the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Now, who is the subject of verse 12? The righteous. Who is the righteous? That's us. We become the righteous when we step into a relationship with God through Jesus. The apostle Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He said that God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Guess what? If you are in relationship with God today, if you have stepped in, you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, you are now righteous in the eyes of God because when he looks at you, he doesn't see your sin or your imperfection. He sees Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. Is anybody grateful for that today? But look at how the psalmist lays this out in verse 12. The righteous shall flourish. That word flourish literally means to bud to bloom or to blossom. The righteous, that's us, we will bud or bloom or blossom when we're in relationship with God. That's a beautiful promise. But I want to take it a step further and I want to say something to everybody this morning and it's incredibly important that you grab hold of this, okay? If you are walking in relationship with God through Jesus, it is the will of God that you grow. Because when you get to step number one, God does not want you to stay there. He wants you to go from step one to step two, and from step two to step three, and from step three to step four, because the Bible also goes on, to, goes on to tell us that God is continually making us into the perfect image of Christ. That doesn't mean that I'm always that I'm going to walk out this life perfect, but what it means is that throughout the course of my life, God is going to continue to refine me. Pastor Gary says it this way, God is always going to be taking that chisel and chipping away at the imperfections in my life. He's going to be taking the sandpaper and the buffer and he's going to be polishing me and making me more into the image of Christ. Throughout the rest of your life, we must accept the process that God wants to transform us and he wants to continue to change us. And it is the will of God that you do not stay the same, but that you grow. And here's why. Because it's a principle that God has put into the beginning of creation. Healthy things grow. Healthy things grow. If you are planted, if you're in a relationship with God, if you're walking it out, you that relationship with people who are going in the same direction as you, if you're in the word of God, if you're being watered with the word of God and his truth, you will grow. And if you reach a place in your walk where you feel as though you're not growing, you have to look around and ask the question, where did I become unhealthy in my walk with God? Because God intended for you to grow. One of my good friends a guy named Matt Strzelecki, he said this years ago, and I, this is one of my most favorite sayings ever. I always thought this would be a great thing to put on the doors of our church. You can come as you are, but you can't stay the same. You can come as you are. Anybody's welcome. You can come as you are, but when you come into a relationship with God, when you encounter his truth and his presence, it changes us. It changes us from glory to glory. It makes us more into the image of God. It makes us more into the image of Christ more specifically. And we learn that when we are in company with other believers and following Christ, we grow. It's what God intended for all of our lives. God did not intend for you to stay the same. And if you're walking in relationship with Jesus, don't just stay at step one. Choose to take step two because God wants you to grow. Now, 
I want to touch on a couple other things very, very briefly before we move on to the next thing. Look at what the psalmist continues to say. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He mentions a palm tree. Now, I want to point this out to you real quick before we move on because we can't stay here very long. But interesting that he would now compare the righteous or us to two different trees. First he says, the palm tree, and he shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. How many people have noticed that when you leave California and you go to the east coast or you go to the midwest or you go to the northeast, there are no palm trees? That's because palm trees can't just grow in any particular environment. God has designated certain environments where they can grow and they can flourish no matter what season it is. Here in Southern California, it's an environment where a palm tree can grow no matter what the season might look like. It's designed to grow in a particular environment. Now, we'll come back to that in just a moment. But the second thing we see is he also likens us, the righteous, to the cedars in Lebanon. In the time at which this was written, the cedars of Lebanon were the most majestic of trees. And even to this day, there are cedar trees in Lebanon that have been marked as being thousands of years old because they have incredible longevity. I want to say this also to you today. God did not intend for your life to blossom overnight and wither the next day. He wants your life to have longevity in its growth so that you live out your days continually growing in God. Is everybody with me so far this morning? God wants you to grow. And when we talk about that palm tree, what we see is that there is an environment in which God intended for each of us, the followers of Christ, the righteousness to grow so that we can have longevity like the cedars of Lebanon. So you might be asking yourself, well, where is it that we grow? Where is it that we flourish? Where is it that we bloom and blossom and bud? I'm glad you asked. Let's look at the second thing. What we see, step two, look at verse 13. Those who are planted, where? In the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. The second thing that we see, if we want to see our lives flourish, the place that God has designed to see our lives flourish is the place where we should be planted. That is the house of God. We're in a series right now where we're talking about the significance of the house of God. And I want to take just a few minutes and I want to talk to you a little bit about being planted in the house of God. What if we no longer saw our lives as our lives, but what if we saw our lives as a gift that God had given to us that we answered to in eternity for what we did with them? What if we saw our lives as not our own, but as a gift from God that he's given to us that we must choose to be stewards of? I think that one of the things we would start to do if we fully grasped that concept was we would no longer think of our days as time that we spend. We would think of our days as time that we invest time that we invest. And so rather than thinking of time being wasted or time being spent, think of the time that you've been given as time that you have the opportunity to invest. And if there's one place that you could invest your life that you will see it grow and flourish to its fullest potential, we find it right there in Psalm 92, ladies and gentlemen, the house of God. The house of God. Now, just for fun, I want to have some fun with you for just a moment, and I want to propose kind of a funny, thought-provoking question for you, okay? Because if you saw your life as an investment and saw the house of God as a place that you could invest your life, maybe we would all start doing life a little bit differently. Listen to this just a minute. I want to just kind of pique your imagination and your interest if I can. What if I told you about an investment opportunity that would bring back a greater return than any other investment opportunity known to man. What if I told you about an investment opportunity that would not only bring immeasurable blessing into your life, but it would also bring the greatest sense of purpose and fulfillment you could ever experience 
on this earth. Some of you are taking your checkbooks out like right now. What if I told you that along with a measurable blessing and unparalleled fulfillment, this investment opportunity would not only change your life, but it would also bring immeasurable blessing and unparalleled fulfillment into the lives of your children and your children's children. And as if that was not enough, what if I told you that this investment opportunity, which would pay enormous dividends in this life generationally, would actually pay its greatest returns when this life is over, when we stand before God Almighty and he said to us, well done, good and faithful servant, come and share in your master's happiness. Now, if I told you that there was an investment opportunity like that, would you be interested? You don't have to think long about it because the answer is we should all be interested. If I told you that that, earth, that that investment meant that all you had to do was write a check and I was having a meeting tonight, there are a lot of you that would go and clear out your life savings and bring a cashier's check and say, I got to get in on this. I got to get in on this. I got to take advantage of this opportunity. But what's sad is that very opportunity presents itself every single day of our lives when we have the option to invest our lives and plant ourselves in this place called the house of God. Because here's the thing, God created this one specific place, this one amazing, unique, incredible environment where we can see our lives flourish in such a way that we would never find that same kind of blessing anywhere else. And it's this place the psalmist talks about, the house of God, where we can invest our lives, where we can see the greatest return, where we can make an investment that doesn't just impact our lives, where we get a great return out of it, but we're able to leave something to our children and leave something to our children's children. And we go through our life having a sense of purpose and a sense of fulfillment, but that's not even the best part. The best part comes when this life is over and we stand before God and God looks at us and said, good job with what I gave you. You fulfilled your fullest potential in the investments that you made on that earth that I gave you for that number of years. They are going to pay their greatest returns now that you have stepped into your master's happiness. Come and enjoy it for all of eternity. So why is it that we don't always invest our lives in the house of God? Why is it? I think there's a few reasons, and I want to talk a little bit more about one of these in just a few moments. I think one of the reasons why we don't always invest, why we don't all invest our lives into the house of God is because I think many of us are more interested in the temporal life returns that we can see in this life rather than what God can give us on the other side in eternity. Because the things that we see are always the things that are most pleasing to us. The things that are tangible, the things that we can touch with our hands. If I can make an investment today and get a return tomorrow, that's the thing that I'm most interested in. But God has made us a promise that the day is coming where if we will invest our life the right way, the greatest rewards we'll see will come in the life that is to come. But we get so stuck in this idea that what I, if I invest now, I want to do it so that God will give me something tomorrow. I'll even see the hundredfold return today. Listen, God wants to bless you in this life, but the greatest blessings that you'll ever receive are going to await you on eternity. It's a matter of how you invest the potential that God has invested in you. Is everybody with me so far this morning? Now listen, I, I want to drive this point home because Pastor talked a couple of weeks ago about a principle that's so incredibly important. I, I, my prayer is that God will grab a hold of your heart today and catch this. Because when I got this revelation, everything changed. When I came into relationship with God and recommitted my life to Jesus, I was 23 years old. I've told my testimony a lot of times here in this church. I knew that my plans weren't working. And so I had to go and find out what God's plans were for me. Because they had to be better than my plans. Because my plans were failing. 
And I didn't know everything God had for my life. And I didn't even know how it was that I was going to figure all that stuff out. But I knew there was one place I could go to start to get some answers. And it was this place called the house of God. And so what I did was I said, you know what? i got to make some changes in my life. I had to let go of some friendships that were holding me back. I had to let go of some habits that were really messing me up. And I'm telling you guys, if you had known 21-year-old me, there's no way in the world you would have ever seen me standing here today. But when I was trying to figure out what God had for me, the only thing I knew to do was to go to the one place where I could find some of those answers, and that was to run to his house where we taught his word and we got around his people and we saw his blessing come into our lives. And I began to unlock those things. Now, Pastor Gary taught about the tabernacle, the Old Testament tabernacle a couple weeks ago. And this is what's so important that I want everybody to catch this morning that you must see in verse 13. Those who are planted, like those trees, we put our roots down, we're stable. We make a lifelong commitment to be planted in the house of God. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish, will bud, will bloom, will blossom. Where? In the courts of our God, now this is so good because everybody's got to catch hold of this. I'm not saying me this is good. I'm saying this passage of scripture is so good and you got to catch hold of this, okay? Pastor Gary taught about the tabernacle in the Old Testament just a couple of weeks ago. The tabernacle was the center of life. When they set up shop, when they moved from place to place, the first thing they set up was the tabernacle. And everybody built their life. They built their house. They, they set up their tents around the tabernacle and was always facing toward the house of God. Now... He says, those who are planted, we make the house of God, the center of our lives, will flourish in the courts of our God. Where were the courts? The courts were these places that surrounded the house of God. So it was the house of God, the outer courts, and then my house. And what he's saying here is simply this. Those who make the decision to put the house of God at the very center of their life will flourish in all of the areas that surround that decision. Is everybody hearing what I'm saying this morning? A lot of us chase after blessing in the courts and all the surrounding areas, but we don't choose to put the house of God at the center of our lives. And we get it backwards. We get it backwards and we get it messed up because we say, God, bless me. God, bless what I'm doing. And I love how Pastor Gary puts this. So often we say, God, bless what I'm doing. And God's saying, no, 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 no. Why don't you do what I'm blessing? Can I tell you what God's been blessing for over 2,000 years? God has been blessing his house. And so often we get, we get disassociated, we get separated from God's house, we're detached from God's house, and we're asking God to bless our lives. And what we don't realize is that God wants to bless the courts of our lives, everything that surrounds it. But the first decision we have to make is to put his house at the center of our lives. We chase after blessing, we chase after blessing, we chase after blessing. And what we don't realize is there's only one thing we need to do, and that's just to make God's house the center of our lives and make our relationship with God the most important thing. And God will bless the courts, everything else that surrounds that decision. Is this hitting home with everybody this morning? And I'm telling you... I could go on and on and on at this point today because this is the thing that has revolutionized my entire life. But I'm telling you today, every time you teach this, there's always people that say, well, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And the answer to that question is you're right. But you show me a Christian who's detached from the local church and I'll show you a Christian who is most likely struggling in their walk with God. We talked a few weeks ago from Acts chapter 2. They continued in four things. The apostles' doctrine, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. We talked about those four things. They were not individual things. They were public, corporate things. If you separate or take away any of those things, we can hardly call it the church. 
Because God has called us to do these things corporately, and they're things that we do in the house of God. And we wonder, God, why aren't you blessing me? God, where's the blessing that you promised? God, when am I going to step into the fulfillment of my potential? And God says, when you choose to put my house at the center of your life. And if we saw our lives as an investment, what we would start to do is invest our lives in the most fertile ground there is. This place that God has designed called the house of God, the church of Jesus Christ. If we got that revelation, I think we would start to invest differently. And I want to ask you a question this morning. When it comes to your longevity, when it comes to the future that God has for your life, when it comes to your fulfillment, your purpose, your ultimate potential, who do you trust more? Do you trust God or you trust the mutual fund that you've invested your money in? Who do you trust? Do you trust God or do you trust the stock market? Who do you trust? Who do you trust? Do you trust God or your real estate investments? Do you trust God or do you trust man? Because the place in which we choose to invest our life will always be a reflection of where our faith is. And God says, I've created this fertile ground, this special place where the righteous, those of us who are in relationship with God, where your life can flourish and you can find your fullest potential. It is my house. So choose to build your life around it and find blessing. I want to say it one more time. We often say, God, bless what I'm doing. And God says, no, do what I'm blessing. And for 2,000 years, God has been blessing his church. And yet some of us don't get revelation. You want to see God bless your life? You want to see that seed that's in your heart, that potential that's in your heart start to flourish or bud or bloom or blossom? Choose to plant your life in the most fertile ground there is. The house of God. The house of God. I could stay there a long, long time because that, that particular principle is something that revolutionized my life. I found my purpose. I met my wife. I found my destiny. I found my calling in the house of God. It was the best decision I ever make. I, listen, I've made a lot of decisions that were stupid decisions in my life. But if there's one decision that was a great decision that's at the very top of that list, it was the decision to be planted in the house of God. And if you want to find blessing, if you want that thing, that seed that's in your heart to bloom and blossom and bud, invest your life in the house of God. Now, Let's keep going because I don't want to run out of time this morning. This is the third step that we see in the roadmap to seeing our potential be unleashed. The third step we see is we create longevity. Look at verse 14. They shall still bear fruit in old age. He's talking about the righteous still and those who are planted. They shall still bear fruit in old age. How many would say amen to that one? They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. Let me read this to you in the old King James, okay? This is what it says in the old King James. They shall bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. That doesn't mean you're going to be obese. That means that you, it figuratively means that you will be satisfied and rich and fertile. That's what it means. And what's interesting is that when you read that in proper context, that last word there, they shall be fat and flourishing, that word flourishing is actually a different word than the word flourishing that we see earlier in the passage. What it literally means is it means to be green. Because when we think about things that get old and as their years go on, we think about things that start to die, they start to dry up. What this is saying is that this goes against the laws of nature, that as your years go on, you can still be fertile and green. God can continue to bless your life in such a way that it just doesn't make sense. And I want to say something to all the people that are here today that are, you know, my age and younger, maybe even a few years older than me. If you're middle age and younger, I want to tell you something. Some of the most fruitful people that are a part of this church are the people who have been serving God for decades and decades and decades. And you might look at them and say, wow, they're up in years. And I want to tell you something. There are many of those people who are a whole lot more fruitful than some of us who are a lot younger. 
And the reason why is because years ago they made a decision to invest their lives in the house of God. And they didn't just do it once, they did it throughout the course of their life. You know, our Seniors Connection people, the people that are a part of our seniors group here in our church, I appreciate these people so much. And it's not because they just faithfully come to the church. It's not just because they're strong supporters or advocates of the church. It's because they are advocates of the next generation that's following up behind them. You know, the truth is the way that we do worship, our style, the sound, the volume, the lights, it doesn't exactly cater toward people who are up there in years. I'm not going to point at anyone. I'm just saying. But I appreciate the fact that they faithfully come every single week because they know that it's important that we invest in the next generation. And one of the things that the next generation needs to learn is that there are a lot of people who are many years older than us that you might look at them and say, you know, you're a lot older than me. I don't really know what we would have in common. I want to tell you something. One of the greatest lessons that you can learn from their life is that if you will invest your life in the house of God now, you will see your life be more fruitful when you're older in age than you could ever have dreamed. Because we see it happen before our very eyes. I was sitting with my grandfather this last week, Ashley and I. We went on vacation. I went back to Arkansas to see some of my family back there. Probably the coolest thing we got to do was sit with my grandparents at the breakfast table every morning and just talk. My grandpa's in his 80s. He's getting to this place where his health's not great, but he feels pretty good. And he always likes to talk about life, and he always likes to instill things in us. It's almost like he's looking at us saying, please, 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 don't let my life pass without learning some of these lessons that I learned years ago. Because the blessing that God is bringing into his life today at 80-something years old is even greater than the blessing he's seen throughout his life previously. And it's because of the decision that he made years ago to invest his life, to plant his life, to sow his life in the house of God. It goes against the laws of nature. But what we see is that God, when, when we're planted in the house of God, he continues to make us green and fertile and blossoming even later on in life because of that decision that we made years ago. Choose longevity. It is not God's intention that you bloom up today and wither away tomorrow. It's God's intention that you would be planted, put your roots down deep so that no matter what season might come your way, you'll have longevity and you will find your greatest fruitfulness years from now, even later on in life. When it seems as though you should be getting old and withering, you'll still be green, you'll still be fulfilled, and you'll still be finding your purpose in life. Amen? And then finally, the fourth step, we're going to be done a little bit early today because there's a couple things that we want to do at the end of service. But finally, the fourth thing that we see here today is that the fourth step is that our life becomes a legacy. Our life becomes a legacy. Look at verse 14. We'll be fruitful later on in age. Why? To declare that the Lord is upright, that he is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. See, when the years go by and we have taken God at his word, you know, in Malachi it says, test me in this. And that's just talking specifically about our finances and talking about bringing God the tithe. But when we have put, when we've taken God at his word, when we've put him to the test in our lives, it's our tests that become testimonies. And when we get to a certain place in our life where we look back and see the track record, not just of our faithfulness, but God's faithfulness, God's faithfulness to us, what we realize is that we leave a legacy, but it's a, it's a declaration later on in life that says, my God was always true to his word. God was always true to his word. Every time God made a promise and I took him at that promise and I took him at his word, what I found was that God was faithful because God wants us to leave a legacy. God wants us to get to a place in life where his faithfulness is a testimony that we declare to other generations who are following behind us that the Lord is upright. There's no unrighteousness in him. In other words, when he made a promise, he's never wrong, he's always faithful, and he's always true to his word. 
I thought about this a little bit over the last couple of days and when it, when it comes to making that declaration and leaving a legacy and a testimony of the faithfulness of God, one of the things that I kind of came to the conclusion of was that if you look at the church today, one of the things that you see in the church of Jesus Christ is that there's so many statistics and so much data that tells us that generationally in the church now, we're building walls. And I'll, so, I'll tell you what I mean by that. When you look at many, many churches, especially in America today, we see a lot of churches that pop up and they're full, they're full mainly of one demographic of people or another. What we see is that today in the church of Jesus Christ, young adults want to be a part of a church that is made of predominantly young adults. And that's fun and that's youthful and that's exciting. There's just one problem. A lot of times those churches don't have a lot of stability and they don't have a lot of wisdom because it's made up of mainly young people. Or other times what we'll see is that we have young families and young professionals and they want to be a part of churches that are made up predominantly of young professionals and young families and young people like them who are starting families. And that's really cool too, but the thing is we need some people who have done it before to show us how to be good parents, to show us how to be good professionals. And if we don't have those people in place, we might be lacking the wisdom that we need to see our life flourish. And then when it comes to the middle age and even the seniors, oftentimes what we see is that those people say, well, you know, we don't really care for the way that church is done today. So we'd rather congregate with people our own age and, you know, kind of just not really associate because the young people, they like the music kind of loud. And while there might be a lot of wisdom within that age group, the one thing that it lacks sometimes is youthfulness. And it's sad to think that the church could get to a place where each generation builds walls between themselves and suddenly the church is unable to, to coexist. And we're unable to get to a place where we can feed into each other's lives. That would be such a sad thing. And I think it breaks the heart of God when one generation neglects the other, when God wants to show us that each generation should be adding value to the other. Because if you're a young adult here today, I want to tell you something. The people who are a few years older than you, they might see things a little bit different. And the kind of church that they might like might be a little different than what you like. But the truth is they've been some places that you haven't been yet. And if you'll hang around them, you'll learn some things that you don't yet know. And if you're a young parent and you're a young professional, there's a generation of people that are a few years ahead of you. And they've done some things and been through a few things that you haven't encountered yet. And when the day comes that you encounter those things with your kids, you're going to need to know how to find them. Because they're going to tell you how to walk through it. And I want to tell you something, if you're one of the older people, please hear my heart and let me say this with all due respect and honor that you deserve. But if you're one of the older people, man, you have so much, you have so much wisdom that you could invest into the younger people's lives. But don't give up on a church that's youthful because God is added, asking each generation to add value to the next. And in closing this morning, I want to just say one quick thing to you. There's just a final thought before we're finished. I was talking with a pastor this morning and I asked him a question. I said... When we built this building, how long did it take? We moved into this building 10 years ago this last July. So it was two, July of 2006 that we moved into this building. When we acquired the property then, began to get the building permits, break ground, put up the entire structure, and then move in, it was like a two to three year process. Now that sounds like a long time. But if you go back a few hundred years and you look at the church, one of the things that you see is that it took a whole lot longer to build church buildings than two or three years. And so when we were able to build this building, there were so many people that got excited about the idea of building this facility. And they said, you know, I'm willing to invest. And the cool thing about it in, that this, in this day and age is that most people that invested into this project were able two or, three, two or three years later to reap the blessing of their investment because they saw it come together. They saw people gathering in this house. But here's an interesting thing. You know, the cathedral at Notre Dame in Paris took 100 years to build that building. 
And if you think that sounds like a long time, the cathedral that's in Cologne in Germany, it took 600 years to build that building. Now, why am I telling you that this morning? Because can you imagine the priest that stood before those people back in the 12th century and said, ladies and gentlemen, I have a huge, amazing, great announcement to make. Church, we're going to build a new building. And everybody's like, yeah, this is awesome. This is great. We're going to build a new building. And he says, guess what else? We have a prime location on a prime corner. It's a prime piece of property. It's an amazing thing. This great opportunity that we have. How many people are excited about that? Yeah, awesome. Now, who wants to give to this? And everybody's like, yeah, okay, but there's just one catch. It's not going to be finished for six Hundred years. So here's the question I want to ask. How do you get somebody to invest in something that they might not ever see the return on in this life? How? Because when I come into the house of God and I look back at the, the, the path that I've walked down and now the fact that I'm 35 years old. Listen, I was a young adult when God transformed and changed my life. And now I look back and I have a daughter. i got a son that's on the way. There's a generation that is now in this church that's following after me. There was a time when I couldn't conceive that there would be younger people following in my footsteps. And now it's happening. And what I see is that I want those people to experience what I experienced and have a real encounter with God so that they can unlock and, the, and tap into the fullest potential that God has for their life. But one of the things that we often do is we're so short-sighted in our investment because we're unwilling to invest today if we don't see a return tomorrow. But what if the greatest return on your investment is something that you'll never see in this life, but instead it's going to be an unimaginable return when you step into the presence of God in eternity? Because what we see in the Old Testament is that Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of them trusted God with the seed, this potential, this promise that he put inside their heart. And they acted it out faithfully. And guess what? In this life, none of them ever saw it completely come to its fullest potential. But what does the scripture say? It says that God accounted it to them as righteousness. Who did the psalmist say we are? We are the righteousness of God in Christ. Listen, invest today, not so that you can just see a return tomorrow, but so that when you stand before God, he'll be able to look at you and say, that thing that I gave you, you did the best thing with. You planted it in the house of God. Because it's the most fertile ground that there is. If you are looking for a place to invest your life, look no further than the house of God because you'll find your greatest return there. Not just for today, but for eternity. And I want to ask you do, you, do you trust God? Because if we want safety for eternity, it's not just safety that we're after. We're after all the rewards that come with it for the way in which we invest our lives. You know, earlier I said so many of us, we chase after blessing in the courts, but the reason we don't find it is because we haven't put God at the center of our lives in his house at the center of our lives. I know that some people today in closing, some people today would say, I think he's saying this because he wants me to come to church more. Yeah. I'm just, I'm not going to hold it back. I'm just going to tell you the truth. There are some of us that absolutely neglect the house of God when this amazing investment opportunity awaits us every single week. Yeah. I'm challenging some people to invest your life in the house of God. You say, well, are we talking about finance? I'm only talking about that as one small part. I'm talking about your life, the thing that God has given you, your time, your talent, your treasures, that seed that he's placed on the inside of you. God wants you to invest it in the most fertile of soil, his house. Because if you want to find the greatest blessing, the greatest purpose, and the greatest fulfillment, that's the place that we sow it. 
See, at the end of the day, if I were to ask everybody here today, how many people want your life to flourish? You want your, bu your life to bud and bloom and blossom? I know that every single person in this house would say, I want my life to flourish, but that's not the big question. The big question is, how many people are willing to be planted? Because if you wanna see your life flourish and bloom and bud and blossom, if you're walking in a relationship with Jesus, there's one place that's more fertile than anywhere else. And you'll get the greatest return on your investment. It's the house of God. It's not my promise. It's God's promise. It's his house. But when we take ownership of it and we say, I'm going to put my life, I'm going to invest my life there, God can bring immense blessing into our lives and unlock our fullest potential. Amen. Amen. Father, I thank you today that this is your house. We're just entrusted with being stewards of it, people who invest our lives in it. I thank you that you've made this house fertile ground so that we can grow. I thank you, Father, that you have a plan, a purpose, a destiny. You've given gifts and talents and abilities and a calling to every single one of us. I pray that as we invest our lives, we will do it with faith, knowing that you will give us that return on our investment. Not just in this life, but when we stand before you for all of eternity, we'll step into the master's happiness. But God, maybe there are people here today that have never made that decision. And if you're here today with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you if you've made that decision to come into relationship with God. The Bible says that all of us have sinned. We've all fallen short of God's perfection and God's glory. That's all of us. That's me. That's you. We've all messed up. We've all missed the mark. But God loved us so much that in his grace, he sent his very best, Jesus, who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might be righteous in the sight of God. And we could accept that righteousness and have it cleanse us we would accept that sacrifice that Jesus made and accept him into our heart. If you're here today and you've never made that decision, I'd love to pray with you. I'm not going to put anybody on the spot. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. It's actually just going to be a private thing. But we're going to pray a prayer right now. If you want to make a decision, maybe for the first time or maybe to recommit your life to Jesus, I want to ask everybody in the house to pray this prayer with me together and mean it with everything inside of you. Please repeat these words and say, Dear Jesus, I thank you that you love me so much that you went to the cross for me. Today I accept your sacrifice. I thank you for forgiving me. I accept your forgiveness. I pray that you would give me purpose. And I thank you for eternity that I will spend with you forever. In Jesus' name.